Sometimes narratives follow fighters unfairly and affect how we perceive the entirety of their career. And you know what? I don't like it. Everybody on this list is a fantastic fighter and should be considered such. But for one reason or another, maybe they could never win the big one. Their prime came in an era before they were that well known to a larger MMA audience. Some negative perception about them stuck and became what everybody associates with their legacy. Whatever, they are now underappreciated and today I intend to rectify that. I'm Tommy from MMA On Point and these are 10 great fighters who deserve way more credit. Number 10. Tony Ferguson. There's a recency bias against Tony Ferguson in a lot of fans' eyes right now because of the four straight losses in a row over the last two years. But look at who beat him. Justin Gaethje, Charles Oliveira, Benil Dariush, Michael Chandler. Four guys at the very top of this thing right now. Ferguson started in 2008. He won tough in 2011. He's been in the UFC for over a decade. There was bound to be a decline at some point. But you could absolutely argue that there wasn't a better lightweight in the world when Tony was at his peak from 2014 to 2019. Nine wins in that amount of time, overall a 12-fight win streak, he would put everybody away but Josh Thompson, who he might as well have, he beat him so soundly, and former champion RDA, who he beat via UD. Everybody else during that era, Trujillo, Tebow, Barbosa, Venata, Lee, Pettis, Cowboy, he put them all away, and in many cases jacked them up something nasty. He should have had a fight with Connor. He should have had a fight with Habib. He didn't get the chance to show that he was the best guy when he arguably was, and a lot of that is bad luck, the injuries, the curse with the Nurmagomedov fight, Connor being MIA. It was a very weird era at lightweight, but my hope is that in time, Tony will be remembered for his incredible run as arguably the best the division had in that era, and not just as that one guy who never got the gold but was really interesting. Number 9. Pedro Hizo. One of the baddest heavyweight strikers ever that never gets any credit is Pedro Hizo, and in large part because he always came up short against the best, not to mention he fought in an era where there weren't a lot of fans watching. The Rock showed up in the UFC, an undefeated World Valley Tudo champion, ready to fight fuck everybody up, and he did initially. First fight in, he KO'd Tank Abbott. Second fight, he beat Mark Coleman. After he rattled off two more finishes, he got a shot at Kevin Randleman's heavyweight title and lost via decision. But he got back on his shit, made Dan Severn tap to strikes, KO'd 2001 Josh Barnett, which set him up for a second title challenge against Randy Couture. This was the big one. The bout went the distance, it was fight of the year, and it probably should have gone to Hizzo. It was very close, and he had Randy in a bad, bad way. They ran it back, he lost the second one, and then yeah, he didn't have the best luck in the rest of his career. He had a terrible run in Pride, got KO'd by Barnett in their rematch in Affliction, Fedor knocked him out, but he still managed wins over UFC champions Rico Rodriguez and Andre Arlovsky, the latter he KO'd at UFC 36. In his 20 wins, he saw 15 KO TKOs. Is Hizzo the greatest heavyweight ever? Of course not. Was he an elite talent that could definitely take some of the best in the sport into deep waters? You bet your ass he was, and he deserves way more credit for how much of a threat he truly was in that late 90s, early 2000s era of heavy Heavyweight. Number 8. Rashad Evans. Quickly, who won the first season of American Idol? Kelly Clarkson, obviously. The entire world knows that. Who won season 2? Fuck if I know, I had to look it up. Ruben stuttered. Holy shit, sorry for 2004. The point I'm trying to make is that everybody makes a big deal out of the first winner. And while sure, you might remember that Rashad Evans and Joe Daddy won season 2, it doesn't hold the same career prestige. You are now just one of the Ultimate Fighter winners, not the first. That's just one way that Rashad is underappreciated. He, to me, is the 
most marketable fighter of the early 2000s. He had the look, the charisma, he was well-rounded, he was interesting in and out of the cage, he had some fantastic victories. That Sean Salmon head kick is seared into my brain forever. He beat Bisbee, he KO'd Chuck, that was a stunner. That title fight with Forrest was so massive, over a million buys, and it was in large part because of Rashad, not just Griffin. Despite the disappointing loss in his first defense, look how he bounced back. That UFC 114 bout with Rampage, that was a headliner with no belt, just a tough beef, and it too did over a million buys. John Jones' best-selling pay-per-views besides Gus 2 and the Cormier fights, it was his team beef with Evans. And God, the tension and the drama leading into that one was just perfect. It really elevated the bout, and I think in large part because Rashad was just so good in interviews about it. Also, let's not kid ourselves, that dude should have been a middleweight his whole career, and he was still damn good. I also think today he does a fantastic job as an analyst. For a guy who's not talked about much anymore, Rashad Evans is in every way a blueprint for success in this sport. Number 7. Jermaine Durandamy The Iron Lady gets no love, and I'm not here for it at all. Sadly, such a huge part of her legacy now is that ugly fight with Holly Holm at UFC 208 for the first women's featherweight title, where she threw several late strikes that appeared to greatly affect the bout, and at the time, she didn't seem all too upset about them. Neither did the referee, who did nothing. And then after all that, she refused to fight Cyborg in her first defense because of a PED failure from 2011, and so she was stripped of her title and shamed by a lot of people in the community. She went back to bantamweight in 2018, got herself a title shot against Amanda Nunes after finishing Aspen Ladd in 16 seconds, and she posed a serious threat on the feet to the Lioness, which is why Nunes chose to take her down for the majority of the fight. She's not had a bout since 2020, her last win, a submission over former champion Juliana Pena, but if she never fights again, she will be one of the most massively underrated talents women's MMA has ever seen. First of all, her kickboxing background, 46-0, 30 KOTKOs, 5 major titles. She's one of the most dangerous strikers to ever compete at 135 or 145, period. In her first real year in MMA, she dropped one to Julia Budd via UD, no shame there, and then otherwise, the only person who's ever beat her is Amanda Nunes. Am I saying GDR is on the WMMA Mount Rushmore? No, but I'm saying she deserves to be remembered for a lot more than not fighting Chris Cyborg and punching Holly Holm after the bell. Number 6. Colby Covington You know, some of you in the comments, anytime I talk about Colby, you say, oh man, this guy is a Colby Covington hater, he clearly has a bias, he's a nerd and a virgin and he's triggered, he can't handle all of Colby's awesome suits and when he sticks his tongue out, he never gives him a fair shake. Which is why I'm the perfect person to write this entry, because Colby Covington is a fantastic fighter and deserves way more credit. Will, his douchebaggery, his willingness to make his politics a huge part of his brand, and his inability to beat Kamaru Usman negatively impact his legacy? Absolutely, there is zero denying that. Does that mean he isn't a great fighter? I would argue that much like DC to John Jones, Colby Colbs is the second best fighter of his generation at 170 pounds. He just so happens to have showed up at the same time as the Nigerian Nightmare, who himself is arguably one of the greatest champions in UFC history. That says a ton about Covington. And look, he's only 34 years old. There's a good chance in the next three years or so, he might get UFC gold. Covington is an output machine. There's few fighters in the sports history who can go like him, and he just never stops. He's like a bang-fueled Terminator. He's got the second most takedowns of all time in the division behind GSP. He's got the fifth most total strikes landed, the fourth most control time. Say anything you want about Colby, and I have, and I will continue to do so. But if you say he's not an all-time elite fighter, you're just silly. Number five, Eddie Alvarez. Because of the insane popularity of Conor McGregor and the massive number of new fans he brought into the sport, Eddie Alvarez's legacy has been unjustifiably tarnished. To these 2015 and on fans, he's largely just that bald guy Conor punked out at MSG to become the double champ. And then what did they get from him after that? A couple Dustin Poirier fights, a real banger with Justin Gaethje, and then he left for one and lost immediately. But the underground king 
King is so much more than that. Next to Michael Chandler, Alvarez is the reason Bellator is the number two brand that it is today. He was literally there from show one to show 106, where he defeated Iron Mike in their rematch to earn his second lightweight title before heading to the UFC. But he goes so much further back than even that. Eddie was fighting in 2003 pre-Tough Boom. No money, just kicking people's asses in New Jersey. Remember shady-ass Bodog fight? Welterweight champion there. He did an Elite XC show, made it to the finals of the 2008 Dream Lightweight GP, had an all-time classic with Joachim Hansen, competed against Aoki for the Whamma Lightweight title, remember that thing? He lost, but avenged himself years later in Bellator. Shit, he was even stomping out douchebags on Bully Beatdown. The dude fought everywhere and everyone outside the UFC. He truly was the underground king, and even though the fight with Connor is what a lot of fans today will remember him for, he should be looked at as an MMA pioneer, paving a path outside Zufa, where there weren't that many of those. Number 4. Yoel Romero Alright, so the guy can't make weight sometimes, and by sometimes I mean largely in title fights. But have you seen this man? Have you seen how huge this man is? Alright, weight problems aside, you might say, oh wow, look at Yoel's record lately. He's lost five of his last seven. He could never win the big one. He could never beat the top guy. Shut your damn mouth about this Cuban king. First of all, let us not forget that in the year of our Lobov 2022, Yoel Romero is 45 years old. He's 40 fucking five. He was born before Star Wars was even a thing that existed. Imagine if this man did not spend his prime athletic years wrestling at an Olympic level. He would have been tearing through the sport. Not that age slowed him down any. Romero was 12 and one with eight UFC victories before he fought Robert Whittaker the first time. He'd beaten Derek Brunson, Tim Kennedy, I'm so sorry about the stool, Lyoto Machida, Jacare Souza, Chris Weidman. That first Bobby fight was close. And the second one he had after KOing Luke Rockhold, Yoel arguably won. Way more media had it for Romero than Knuckles. They even split 50-50 on his decision loss to Paulo Costa. Also, that terrible Izzy fight, a lot of outlets had it for Yoel. He had a split decision loss to Phil Davis in his Bellator debut. Yoel Romero has arguably only ever lost two fights in his entire career, and one of them happened back in 2011. I'm just saying, he is a generational top middleweight even without any gold. Number 3. Carlos Condit. Last year, when Carlos Condit called it a career at 34 and 14. Newer fans seemed somewhat apathetic to the announcement, and that honestly ripped my heart out because not only is Carlos an all-time great welterweight, he's one of my favorite fighters ever. Like the underground king, Carlos Condit was fucking people up for a free bag of popcorn in the early 2000s before it was cool to get underpaid for mixed martial arts. After burning through the Southwest regional scene for 13 fights, Condit hit the Pacific, Hawaii, Japan, Pancrase, Rumble on the Rock. By 2007, he was at the WEC with an 18 and 4 record. Every single victory a finish. A natural-born killer, you might say. Five straight WEC finishes and a welterweight title got NBK into the UFC, where he stumbled at his debut, but then rattled off wins against Jake Ellenberger, Rory Mack, Dan Hardy, The Stun Gun, and of course Nick Diaz, which earned him a shot at the GOAT. There are very few times in the history of MMA you can say that GSP was in trouble, especially during his godlike second reign as champion, but that third-round head kick was arguably the most serious. Carlos was a moment away Away from dethroning the best to ever do it. And I'm sorry, I scored that classic title fight with Lawler for Condit. Go ahead, watch it back. The guy deserves a title. Sure, his late career didn't work out well, and he may not be remembered as fondly by the next generation of fans. But when you look at his body of work, 32 wins, 28 finishes, the two world title bouts, one he arguably won. Carlos Condit deserves all the respect and adoration in the world. So we're, we're throwing spinning shit now? Number two, Luke Rockhold. All right, so we recently had some fun at Luke's unintentional expense in our 
our accidentally hilarious fighters video. And yes, it's true part of my love for Rockhold is that he's made me laugh my ass off in ways he absolutely never intended. But man, does this guy not get anywhere near the credit he deserves for the career that he had? I get it, a lot of people don't like the way he comes across. First of all, phenomenal Strike Force talent, one of the best coming into the UFC from that promotion. I remember thinking there's no way anybody's ever gonna beat this guy. Nine straight wins in the promotion, seven finishes, a middleweight title, he beat Prime Jacare, he beat Tim Kennedy, and then he came into the UFC and ran into TRT Tour in Brazil. But that's like having to fight Jason at Crystal Lake and you just had premarital sex. You're not winning that one. Luke recovered though and looked incredible. Every win through Weidman was impressive as hell and he finally got that title while fighting off a staph infection no less. And then what, he lost to Yoel, another guy that's already on this list because he's so great. He lost to soon to be champion Jan Blahovich a weight class up. And keep in mind, after he dropped the title, he only fought like once a year for the last four years of that run before his biggest layoff leading up to the recent Costa fight. Who knows what he could have done during that era had he had more fights. Luke Rockhold is so much better than the perception of his career. Number one, Johnny Hendricks. I mean, shit, I talked about how Carlos Condon almost beat GSP. Johnny Hendricks did beat him, at least in the eyes of a pretty large swath of the MMA community. Talk about a fucking Lambo super yacht-sized feather getting pulled from your cap. And then, of course, there was the other stuff in his late career, the horrible weight cuts and fails, three of them, a complete physical transformation post-USADA that many saw as proof he juiced his way to the top. He lost five of his last six on his way out the door when only three years earlier he was a world champion. It was a massive fall from the top, and as such, the legacy of Mr. Hendricks is a bit murky. All that said, though, what he did when he did it was pretty damn impressive. His run from 2011 to 2014, I mean, TJ Waldberger in just over a minute, John Fitch gone in 12 seconds, Martin Campman 46, all three knockout of the night, he beat Mike Pierce, Josh Koscheck, Carlos Condit, six straight wins that led him to GSP, and let's pretend he won, he then defeated Robbie Lawler in another classic. Barely lost the rematch, another one many think he should have got on the cards. If we're just talking straight up fights, the guy is an all-time great welterweight, but he's likely not going to be seen as such. And as for his late career de-evolution, I think he truly destroyed his body cutting so much weight in such a bad way, and it all just came back to bite him. I think way more so than anything USADA might have done. Just my two cents, and I know the steroid thing will follow him forever, even though he's literally never failed a single test whatsoever but the eyeball one. For my money though, the guy is way better than he's ever gonna get credit for. You know who else never gets enough credit? The editors of these videos. All I do is write the thing in voices. Is that a video? No, it's a really short podcast. Luke Taylor takes that little seed I give him and he plants it in the soil. He nourishes it. He keeps away the predators and he grows that little nothing into a big-ass ripe juicy video. So give him a follow on social media, dammit. And Ben Rosette, the soundtrack, those tunes, a vital component. He's a farmer that deserves your praise as well. Before you leave, plant your own seed in the like and subscribe button until it blossoms into a beautiful arrangement of cantaloupes. I, this extended analogy has gone off the rails, but have a good one, guys.